Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Marlo's here. Steve's here. I'm here. The Pinko Kami Sluts are here. Oh, boy. How's everyone doing? Yeah, my parents just got a puppy. What kind of puppy? A Labradoodle. Yeah, no, it's adorable as fuck. Wait, wait, before we start, um, uh, I have a message from Ariel. We just finished watching uh, Jaws. And as a message. (laughs) Hi. Hello. Hello. So we are, we were watching Jaws and I really see a like strong resemblance, Marlo, to Richard Dreyfus in them. Okay, I have an entire story about this. <laughs> yeah, so interesting you should say that because I have a literal story that ends with a punchline that I look like Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> oh, well, I meant it as a compliment, so hopefully the other... Oh, no, no, it was a compliment in the story, too. So, the story goes <laughs> like this. Back in the year, I want to say 2011, when Hangover Part 2 was released, the <laughs> the research can Google this. Matt, ADR me in saying the correct year when Hangover 2 came out. But anyway, so back in that year, for the entirety of the year, everyone decided that I looked like Zach the Hangover guy, Galapanakis. <laughs> and when I say everyone, I mean everyone. I mean, I would walk down the street in my then apartment in Washington Heights and Dominican people would come up to me and go, Hey, hangover guy. (laughs) I would try and buy drugs from the Dominican drug dealers on my corner in Washington (laughs) Heights. And they would say, you're a hangover guy. I would be walking home late at night and same drug dealers will go, Hey, stop and take a picture with us because you're the hangover guy. I would go to Lower Manhattan in the Lower East Side to go drink in the bar. The Continental in the East Village. Rest in peace. But anyway, the bouncer there who looked like um, Slash. Slash. Yeah, the bouncer who looked like Slash would stop me and go, are you the hangover guy? And then the next week I would show up and the same bouncer would pull me out of line and go, hey, are you that guy that I pulled out of line last week to ask if you're the hangover guy? And I would say yes. And he would say Good, I don't need to see your ID. It was a whole goddamn thing for a year fucking straight. Everyone (laughs) thought I looked like hangover guy. And one day, towards month 11 of this fucking nightmare, I was standing in line at the grocery store, and some old Jewish guy in line behind me tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, do you know who you look like? And I gave a big sigh 
a guy. <laughs> and I said, yes, I think I know who you're referring to. And he goes, that's right, Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, this is the second time someone's told me I look like Richard Dreyfus. You should take another watch and just look at yourself. It's uh, Yeah, no, I, I regularly watch Jaws and then just look at myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wait, who's that gif everyone thinks is Zach Galifianakis, but is actually a young Robert Redford? Yeah, if you're fat and you have a beard, then like you look like the same person. That's <laughs> all there is to it. It's not fucking difficult. Seth Rogen, Richard Dreyfus, uh, Zach Galifianakis, and myself are all the same person. What yeah. if you what if you one day discover you were all indeed created at the same lab? <laughs> I like more in And the uh, only the only part that worked is that like you all smoke pot, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I like just that like we are literally the same person in some weird quantum physics way. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, no, we're just existing at different points in space, but are one. I don't know. I haven't done acid in a while. You know, you, we should put that in the calendar. Yeah, um, that's sure, a, totally. That's yeah, a what's team fucking, builder. Yeah, coronavirus is fucked up group trip sessions. Um, I can't trip over Zoom. That that shit would be a nightmare. Um, <laughs> the alienation. Yeah, no, it would be so much like every fucking dumbass crit theory that I read regularly will apply to that, and it would suck. Um, anyway, I do want to say uh, the entire thing I had in the group chat about Star Trek, that was a ruse to throw you off my scent. Oh, uh, no. The real thing that I want to talk about is I have gone balls fucking deep into professional Tetris this week, and I am 100 <laughs> percent into pro tetris and steven you might laugh but honestly get into it you'll fucking like it it is the combination of kaizo speed running and chess that i have been waiting for uh it's beautiful it's majestic it's a wonderful fucking godly game of kings uh we're gonna start off with joseph saley current reigning champion defending against green tea oh man <laughs> I mean, this is definitely going to be a high-octane match right from the get-go. <laughs> a godly game of kings. I, my word. My grandmother was really into Tetris. Like, hardcore. Yeah, no, no, it, it fucking rolls. Uh, and the worst thing is I actually, because I have, like, a shitload of money now because of, like, my weird fucking job, and also I got a bunch of back pay from unemployment. So I decided to get, like, a triple-A game for the first time in fucking years. I got Outer Worlds, which, like, people might recognize. Oh, that's that commie game made by the fucking Fallout people. And, um, you know, highly recommended. Everyone fucking loved that game. Critical acclaim of 2019. I never fuck with AAA games. It's currently sitting on my computer taking up 60 fucking dollars and 90 goddamn percent of my available disk space. And I played maybe like 20 minutes of it, and then I immediately just got into professional Tetris, and so now I'm just like fucking <laughs> playing uh, Tetris uh, 
on my NES emulator and also grinding away at SMB1. Uh, so it's just literally, I have Outer Worlds sitting on my fucking computer doing nothing right now. Yeah. No, my grandma was really into Tetris. Yeah, it's hours on like an old Apple computer from. Aww. Yeah, well, the the Pro Tetris that uses the NES version, uh, and there's all these fucking subtleties. It's a super head game, like like I said, very uh, you know, very much like baseball, where it's like if you don't understand the intricacies, you might not understand why someone's making a certain decision. But if you do understand that, then it gets this whole new dimension of fun. Uh, wonderful. I suggest everyone get into Professional Tetris. It's awesome. Uh, I suggest everyone get into Professional Dr. Mario. <laughs> that is usually a side exhibition game at the main Tetris uh, I bet it is. I events. fucking love Dr. Mario, and I did download. I got a Nintendo Switch, and I downloaded the little bundle of whatever original NES uh games and uh yeah i've been playing some dr mario these days so yeah, i'll be ready for that exhibition I'll be, I'll be blowing up the group chat later on with links of videos about professional tetris and also like the agreed upon like greatest matches of all time in professional tetris truly a uh, game of kings i love it well and you did mr i thought we were going to talk about quantum leap oh yeah no that's a lovely show uh, super excited. Everyone, we're referring to we a group do, chat that you're not in. Actually, most of you are probably in it. We should do a <laughs> Quantum Leap watch episode sometime. That would be worth it. I, I fucking love Quantum Leap. I fucking so. love Quantum Leap, too. I, I absolutely love that show. That show didn't, we, didn't we watch a couple episodes? Yeah, almost certainly. When we lived together, I probably made you watch Quantum Leap. Um... Yeah, no, it's just like Scott Bakula like has to travel through time and solve racism in different decades. It rules. Oh my god, the best ones. I would just love to do a super watch of every episode where he is a black woman. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, yeah, there's black woman episode. Well, there's also the episode where he's like where everyone's like gay and in the army and shit. That's <laughs> Um, gay and in the army. I do remember. I know exactly what episode you're talking about. Yeah, no, that, oh, that shows awesome. Um, yeah, it's just like fucking '80s, '90s, like progressive liberal anti-racism wrapped up in this weird fucking like, sci-fi nihilism. It's yeah, just sci-fi-ish, but. It's mainly just a, like, soap opera that is bookended with sci-fi. Yeah, but the sci-fi elements are melancholy and uh, meaningless. They just lose all sense of him trying to figure his way. Yeah, no. It, <laughs> out of leaping. Again, um, it's a framing device. It is not what the show I is. know it's a show, Marla, but I'm saying, yeah, they were not concerned with the sci-fi mythos of yeah whatever the dude's leaping he's leaping he's, he's fucking leaping and he's leaping forever incessantly in a 
Like, and in order to leave, he has to solve a racism in a decade. And once he solves that racism, he leaps to another decade where he solves another racism. Uh, sometimes he solves microaggressions. Sometimes he solves an occasional homophobia. <laughs> you know, he solves these issues, though, through many a decade. And then he talks to, like, a tiny Italian man, I think. Is, is Sam Italian? Uh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he's bald, so close enough. Yeah, he's bald. He's got an, an accent that would make you go, yeah, he's a little meatball. He, he's got that accent of someone who's learned what New Yorkers talk like through Bugs Bunny. Yes. <laughs> Quantum Leap. And, okay, the other great thing about Quantum Leap, I just have to say, which also brings it back to Star Trek, the original series, is I love what music was like on TV back in the day, where they needed to be like, oh, an emotion was felt. We should have a little ditty to highlight the fact that an emotion was done on screen. Because well, and then, like, later, you know, it's the, yeah, it's the, oh, he's embarrassed. And like it has this freeze frame of Scott Bakula doing his hands to his side. It's, it's almost like they made too much interstitial music in general. They just had an abundance of interstitial yeah. music, and they like, were like, every, "We got to cram it in here." Every, every single episode, you know, you have that basic narrative, save the cat beats of like, oh, and then. They start to figure it out, but then they're presented with a new problem that really puts everything in highlights. And you have that highlighted that moment with just that burm, burm, like fucking Diddy. Yeah, no, that shit ruled. Oh, remember the episode of Quantum Leap where he was Geraldo Rivera? <laughs> do you remember that episode? Because that's the best fucking episode of that show. I do remember that episode. Yeah, there's an episode where he is literally Geraldo Rivera. Wait, does Geraldo Rivera show up on the episode? No. Well, okay, his character is actually named Roberto, not Geraldo. <laughs> um, and they, there's like a chant in the because it's the same sort of like, if you know like the Donahue, like old school Geraldo, early Oprah style show. Ricky Lake. Right, right. <laughs> there's a point where, like, he's before the audience, and there's this, like, whole, like, cheer of Roberto! And, like, yeah, he does that a few times. Yeah, he's Roberto, but he's actually Geraldo Rivera. And uh, there's literally, like, a corporation doing, like, some fucked up 80s corporation shit of, like, just you know, dumping plutonium in, like, the water supply or some bullshit. And he has to solve that mystery as Geraldo Rivera, and it, it rules. It shows off. I love it because, uh, you know what, Quantum Leap did beautifully, and I'm completely talking out of my ass. I have not checked what I'm about to say. But uh, they don't have to cancel any past episodes for Blackface. So, uh, yeah, no, they don't. No, they, they do not. There is never a point, as never, far as I know, where Scott Balcula blacks up. As, <laughs> as, but as what they about, say in the UK. What about episodes where he is a black woman? Okay, so the way they do it is... He looks it, in the mirror. Yes, yes. It is Scott Bakula the entire episode, except for his reflection. And then it's just a different actor or actress looking back at him. 
Oh, remember the fucking episode where he is a special person? That's a great episode, too. There's so many good episodes of that fucking show. I think it's, I actually think it's worth a rewatch in light of everyone trying to retroactively woke themselves. In an oh, episode. yeah, no, it's the most I would love show ever. If more like, people actually, watched Geraldo Rivera, the voice actress from BoJack Horseman would not have to apologize to <laughs> Oh man, they took an episode of the Golden I mean, probably not Geraldo Rivera. Yes, yeah. yeah whatever. No, yeah. no, no, no. I think we should. Yeah, actually, yeah. Let's go. With that more too. people should more people <laughs> watch Geraldo Rivera. But, but, no, but not to, Yeah, not like Donahue era Geraldo. Absolutely. Uh, like when he, you know, um, remember, yeah, remember Al Capone? Blah blah blah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, he, he no, like, I, was like instrumental it. in causing the fucking Satan panic and like... I was going to say, I like Geraldo Rivera in the Satan panic era. Excuse yeah, me, yeah. it's Satanic panic. It rhymes. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, I don't know. You're the only one who was like forming memories during that era. <laughs> look, look. Because you're older than us. That's <laughs> 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 what I'm saying. I mean... Fair, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I was definitely during that heyday of afternoon talk shows. It was Geraldo, Donahue, Ricky Lake, like I said. She was the popular one. At least you know you can always go on Ricky Lake. Amongst the school children I knew who were unsupervised in the afternoons and watched talk shows. Yeah, by the time I was in school, basically Oprah murdered all the other shows and then Jerry <laughs> Springer still existed as the like fucking alt rock Oprah, but like there was no other normie one of those shows other than Oprah. It was just Oprah then Springer was the punk rock. Springer was like the point and laugh at the working class. Yeah, well, Springer was a lot of things. Democratic candidate for, I want to say, governor at one point. Mm -hmm. I think I remember my school actually sent him a note uh, to everyone's parents saying, like, we encourage you to not allow your kids to watch Jerry Springer. I remember that panic. It was the same era as, like, don't watch Power Rangers. Yeah, it was also yeah, it was Vi violence. the heyday of Tipper Gore going off the music albums of the Marilyn Manson and shit. Uh, yeah, no, I was a young child watching those talk shows, etc. But no, Jerry Springer, that's what I... Oh, yeah, well, say well, lay down your smart shit about so, Springer. So, Jerry Springer, he was, I believe, a full-on mayor of a town. Right, yeah, yeah. Prior. But his show, even, it went through, like, several eras if you will. At first, it was much more like the Ricky Lake and the whatever, Jenny, the one who got... Donahue. Donahue. That's my reference them. point. Yeah, Donahue. 
Sally Jesse Raphael. That's who I was trying to think of before. Sally Jesse Raphael. All these people where you're like, are they Puerto Rican? Yes, but you know, not really. So Drew Springer, he was the one who just leaned into like it being utter campy insanity. Uh, but at first it was more quote unquote realistic trash. Right. And then it went to like, you know, the bodyguards and like whatever. But he also had a, you know, all those talk shows had like a racist period where they were like, we're going to bring on a clan member. Yeah. 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 That was the thing. Yeah. No, I mean, Tom Atsker made his fucking rounds back in the day. Yeah, no, okay, so is that, actually, that's an interesting concept, uh, because I, I remember my, my parents and I, we were discussing my grandmother's dog, or, like, my mom's dog when she was very young, and my grandmother named it after a singer that she liked. The singer happened to be Cuban in the very, like, Ricky Ricardo Babalu style of music, which was apparently a huge fucking thing before the revolution. It was the beginning of pop. Yeah, yeah, no, I I didn't, I was learning about this through this. So, my question is, this era of trash TV, is this a part of Puerto Rican people in media? Was that, like, a whole thing? Were a bunch of them actually Puerto Rican? Like, if I'm to look up, like, American Puerto Rican history of media, like, is there an era called the Puerto Rican era, which is what we think of as this like trash talk shows tv era i mean it's possible yeah i, I, don't, I know. don't know yeah because apparently i did not realize there was this whole like cuban era of proto-pop music uh and yeah that was a huge fucking thing my fault for not realizing it because i did grow up on i love lucy yeah do you remember the part of i love lucy where um she wanted to be on the show and ricky said no yeah, and he said no. came up with schemes and then she came up with schemes with her landlord's wife yeah right they always had schemes and then she was on the television show and mm-hmm. then uh chaos ensued it was great that's great <laughs> see now that's a show that needed more black things. well here's i always bring up this is a funny thing uh i always bring up i love lucy when people try to cover up that when we're we're talking about racism in the United States. We're largely talking about anti-black racism. There's a reason why people weren't up in arms over Lucy and Desi's marriage. Right? Yeah, no, I mean, Ricky was white. <laughs> yeah. So, like, whenever people have an issue with the fact that there are, like, white Latinos... <laughs> Oh, Desi Arnaz. There used to be a stupid bar in Baltimore called Babaloo's. <laughs> it's like a sadder version of the Bubba Gump Shrimp Factory. It is sadder because, like, it was obvious that was why they had chosen the name. But it wasn't, like, thematic. So I would, like, be at this stupid bar and I'd be like, yeah, like, Ricky and Lucy, right? And they'd look at me like I was a fucking asshole. <laughs> they were there to drink Jaeger bar. Bombs. Did they later change their name to the Bada Bing? <laughs> no, but there was a similarly vibed uh, bar called Rick's American. And it's, of oh. course, 
God damn it. It's, of course, Casablanca, but literally, yeah, this, no. this one was even worse because it was in a shittier, more bar fly part of town. So there was even more of a disconnect between what the name was from. <laughs> and it was yeah, definitely no, like a like, bar where people went to do cocaine, you know? <laughs> yeah, that pisses me off because Casablanca is unironically just one of my favorite movies of all time. I'd say in Bruges, Casablanca and Clueless would be my top three. That's good. That's good choice. Yeah, I think that's a um, solid fucking list. Did, did anybody have any uh, family members that were really into I Love Lucy? Yeah, my, my, my godfather just would really just bring it into every conversation. Oh, no, not like that. Oh, yeah. Every, no, just, my mom uh, and I would just watch it all neck and night back in the 90s. No, he would, like, cite it. And it was like a he, everything had to do with an I Love Lucy episode. I, that's why women shouldn't work outside the home. Well, and I mean, that's why you shouldn't like let redheads do like anything, you know? Anything. No, you should just genocide. <laughs> Better off. I do like that the fact she was a redhead was such a big plot point so much of the time, and yet I never saw that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I think there's something philosophical about that. It is actually kind of interesting because there was a similar thing before we had talkies with Clara Bow. She uh. was sort of famous for having hennaed her hair red, but of course, every movie she appeared in was in black and white, and every magazine she appeared in was in black and white. Like, it was just relayed to people who never could see her in person that her hair was indeed red. She's also a tragic figure. She did not survive the transition to talkies because she had very strong accent. Yeah, I know about her. Like, yeah, it was... Is one of those, yeah, well, gee gollies. And like, yeah, you're not going to survive if we have to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Sorry. She, and yeah, I Lucy guess star of her day, but nope. <laughs> I love Lucy, early ginger representation before we could see the ginger. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. As soon as we see the ginger, we stopped representing them because, ew. <laughs> well, actually, there's like a... It's Fuck like you, almost, Howard. <laughs> it's a trope in American media. The redheaded woman is like... That's how they used to type commercials. It was like, of course, it was just different white women by hair color. But a blonde woman, like, has a problem. A brunette woman solves a problem. And, like, a redhead is a problem. Was right. So, like, yeah, you have this reoccurring character you see. And you see it in cartoons and et cetera, where it's like this, you know, goofy redheaded character lady. (laughs) Okay, counterpoint, Scooby-Doo. Well, yeah, because Daphne's so sexy. Yeah, no, Daphne just, like, could get it. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, it wasn't really... She didn't really land in capers. She was... Okay, question. Is Scooby-Doo proto-woke for not having a blonde? The only blonde is that himbo. Yeah, but, Uh, like, (laughs) men are just men. Men are not typed by... Sexual objects. Yeah, I'm talking about things, not men. Yeah, no, was Scooby-Doo proto-woke because they only had a lesbian brunette and a uh, whorish redhead. (laughs) They did not have a whorish blonde. I mean, 
I guess that's something, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. I could write a 2015 piece on Jezebel about this. You certainly could. And then I would... 100%. I would respond with one about the Smurfs and how Smurfette has a journey of hair color. I, could, I, already, she was, I already see. She was bad and brunette, and then Papa Smurf made her good, and then she her hair turned blonde. Right, and so. I will just uh, rewrite the long-ass diatribe from Donnie Darko and submit that as a think piece. <laughs> I already see this as a manufactured beef in the media. Which aspect? Wait, between who? Between the two of you. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. On her, like, battling it out. fucking harebrained think pieces from five years ago that we never read. It's, it's a Slate and Jezebel dueling. Yeah. Yeah, take yeah. that, Jezebel, for never <sighs> reading any of my it's, writing samples. <laughs> it's a real Nathan Robinson versus Hill Rising. Oh, okay, no. again, Nathan Robinson is right about that, and you need to get over your beef enough to realize that fact. I will not stand the fancy lad. <laughs> I, I'm not standing Nathan Robinson so much as I'm saying Hill Rising is a shitty fucking show, and Slayer is a literal fascist, and Crystal Ball, if she wants to actually have any legitimacy among the left, should not be doing a show with him. Him, and also should do a bunch of other shit, but yeah, you know, fuck Crystal Ball and Sager and Hill Rising. Nathan J. Robinson is a simple country social. A simple um, country. <laughs> I think he's a Louisiana vampire. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. Did you guys want to talk about some like fucking? Weird ass, like religious shit or some shit. Look, the, the spiritual. The oh boy. Yeah. Did, Did you, you want to talk the spiritual and the mystical? Uh, do you have our reading? I do. I do. So. Honey yeah. committed witchcraft. I committed witchcraft. I did everyone's astrology charts. So. Um, uh, great. It's so stupid. Um, so you probably are familiar with the regular old Zodiac, what your sun sign is. That's what you are probably thinking about. That's what you'd look up if you were looking yeah. up. Also, people know about like moon signs and rising and falling and all that other bullshit because they have at least one friend who's you and they've heard this before yes. and not paid attention to it. So, yeah, you know, but, we're familiar with all of it. Well, there's a whole fucking chart. It's just what the sky looks like when you're born. Marlo. Marlo and I have the same birthday. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. So oh, that. we share the same sun sign, which is Pisces, <laughs> the most psychic of all the signs. But that is where it ends because uh, <laughs> of where and when you were born. Your moon and your is different. You are a... Virgo moon. Oh, that's not chat at all. And a cancer rising. So. Those are like the worst. No. <laughs> cancer. I'm a virgin and cancer. Like those are <laughs> literally the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> those are decidedly the worst ones. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um. Fair enough. You're you're rotting from the inside and you're not getting any. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, I think 
typically you present to people as your rising sign. They get to know you a little better. They see your sun sign and then they get to know you really well and they see your moon sign. So, yeah, I think it checks uh, out. Is Marla, Leo the Chad sign? Because Leo sounds like a Chad. Yeah, Leo's a total Chad sign. Guess who's the Leo rising? This girl over here. Oh, damn. <laughs> so, um, yes. <laughs> very, very <laughs> annoying. Um, but Marla, it checks out. Because initially, you do present as a Sailor Moon. She's a Cancer. And then you're like, oh, this guy is a wise sage, Zach Galifianakis. And then, <laughs> and then you get to that uh, Virgo Moon, and you're like, you see the practical Marxist uh, Richard <laughs> Dreyfus. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, I don't agree with that witchcraft. You don't agree with that witchcraft dog. I'm going to do your life design, which is a new thing that all the bitches are doing. Oh, it's more nonsense. Um, Steve, you're just you're just a month after Marlo. Exactly a month. Oh, my God. Crazy. Well, you are an Aries with mm. uh, your moon is in Scorpio like mm. me and mm. uh, you're a Sagittarius rising. So, like, Sagittarius kind of always gives me, like, a, um, sorry, everyone, a Hermione vibe, okay? <laughs> I, no, I can okay, you know what? I quit this podcast. <laughs> no, this is one Yeah, no, we can't, okay, we already <laughs> tolerated your ladyish zodiac bullshit. <laughs> I will not no. further tolerate no. Harry Potter, and then he's he's a passionate, fiery ram, and then he's the snarky Scorpio when you get to know him. It just completely checks out. It's absolutely verifiable. I have a story. I I was working pushing carts in a parking lot at Whole Foods in Princeton, New Jersey, and I worked with a witch, (laughs) and her name was... Xenia or something. Whoa, she, what? No, no, I don't remember her name. But she wore Did very you dark. Work at Whole Foods with Zenny Jardin. <laughs> no. But um, so I was talking to her, and she goes, "What's your What's your birthday?" And I'm like, "Never uh, tell a witch your birthday. That gives them power." Not, yeah, no, I said, she's already got your I, hair, Steve. I said, I. I don't believe in the zodiac sign, and and she's like, "Well, what's your sign?" And I'm like, "Aries," and she's like, "Oh, that's why you don't believe in the sign because you're stubborn." Yeah, because well, yeah, you're stubborn. Obviously, it's classic. Uh, you know, damned if I do, damned if yeah. I don't. Thing that makes us all bullshit. I just, I'll never understand anyone's insistence to if someone's saying I don't really believe in that like why someone would need to push it or like like what the why like if it's not fun for people yeah, did you fucking go to church for this shit like yeah like I don't understand you know that's a, that's no people thing. get incredibly insane about it and like to the point and where this is why I actually they're little fascists <laughs> yeah this is why I actually appreciate uh, evangelical Christians more because it's like I understand your worldview to the point where you do actually think you're saving my eternal soul by being this annoying. 
And yeah, I can understand where you're coming from, and I appreciate that. Uh, with the like New Age and Zodiac shit, it's like, what do you fucking care, man? <laughs> like, well, that, I, yeah, yeah, if it's not, if it's not, I think like, it's kind of stupid. Whatever. Yeah, if it's not fun for the person, like if you're into it, I just can't understand why yeah. you would want and, to talk to someone who doesn't care for it, especially. Yeah, and sure, I had a long rant about professional Tetris. I understand. <laughs> being interested in dumb fucking shit. Yeah. Like, don't get me but wrong. I, 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 I get do, it. So I do think it's funny, though, how um, a lot of people get into these things in an effort to get to know themselves better and then get to understand other people better. But what often happens, and this is not just for astrology, this is for, you know, my white Buddhists as well, <laughs> my, my enemies. Oh, uh, white um, Buddhists are the worst. Yeah, uh, this is for these types who flatten out any kind of concept where they then just make it their own little tiny fascism. You know, you'll have someone say, oh, you can't be that. You've got too much water in your chart. What? That's not at all a determinist thing. Also, people have only been doing this fucking horoscope shit for like a couple hundred years. It, it doesn't go all the way back and they've been doing divination nonsense forever. Yeah. But well, the, mean, actual, the man like, would be the closest. Ooh, this would be something you'd be into if you haven't read it. Have you ever read the book uh, Heirs to Lost Kingdoms or heard of it? No. Okay, great fucking book. I, I remember the first night we met and just, like, talked about random fucking esoteric religious bullshit for, like, four fucking hours at a party. Yeah, uh, that's my style, everyone. Yeah, no, yeah, this is how we connected. But, um, no, Aristotle's Kingdoms, yeah, no, it's adorable. Uh, but anyway, Aristotle's Kingdoms is basically documenting the minority religions of the Middle East. So you have Druze, Mandeans, Yazidi, fucking Samaritans, like they still exist. And it's just like, yeah, there's a chapter per religion. And it's these like religious groups that have existed in the Middle East since before Islam existed, except for the Druze, um, which were, uh, Islam offshoot. But yeah, no, they cover the Mandeans, which are the closest analog to ancient Babylonian theology. It's basically like the Babylonian church continued to exist after the fall of Babylon. And uh, they exist. Uh, and they actually do pay attention to the Zodiac for actual religious reasons. They mm -hmm. literally believe that the stars are angels that tell mm -hmm. them their face. Well, yeah, so that which is a different conceptualization than how people use it. Like, it's different to conceptualize uh, celestial bodies as literal bodies of celestial beings. <laughs> yeah, no, as and the man stands, again, 100%. There are dozens of them. And, uh, yeah, no, they absolutely still exist. And they 100% actually follow the fucking stars as a part of their religion. Which... It's cool as fuck. Yeah. So, like, I always find that aspect interesting. The consistent star 
tracking. It's kind of like how people see the tarot as well, where they imbue uh, this whole like ancient thing on. No, but it's it's the it's a similar thing where um, I heard a really fun overwoke take. Did we all see this overwoke take where they were saying, be mindful when you do tarot cards because you're appropriating Romani culture? <laughs> no, right? you're not. No, 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 which is so absurd because even you saying that sh shows that you are not familiar with you're not familiar with Roma at all if you think the things that they do for money to get money from Westerners is um, their true reflection of their real spiritual religion. Religious beliefs. One, you don't know anything about the Roma people. To, to yeah, whatever. Two, tarot cards are Italian or a Italian well, uh, card game. Well, it well, was it's not a card game. It's, it it's was a card game. Yeah, it was. It was a game that like fucking rich people played. And uh, okay, my, I mean, I know the deck minus the Vanguard cards uh, is just the standard deck. Is yeah, that is the predecessor to our deck. I I was at a wedding in um, in Costa Rica, and the bride's family they were all like Argentine. And some of the bride's cousins, we were drinking some night, and they, like, started playing a game, and they got me into it. I forget the fucking rules of the game. Fun as shit game. But it was designed to be played on a Spanish deck, which would essentially be the tarot deck minus the Vanguard cards. There's... Mm -hmm. The French deck, which is the deck we have, and then there's the Spanish deck, which is the tarot deck minus the Vanguard. Like, there's just two decks that exist. America happened to adopt the French one, so that's the one you know about and the one that's generally more popular in the world. But, yeah, it's just a different deck. Um, Bunny, what do you think about my thesis about mysticism and spiritualism and how it applies to this? So, well, one, um, I'd love for you to, like, give a once-over, but uh, I think my favorite part um, is how both are bad to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so my distinction between the two is mysticism is searching for an origin, which we've kind of covered in this little section of, you know, we, our origin being our birth time and, mm -hmm. like, finding meaning in it and uh, discovering our personalities and projecting that upon it and, and having it a, a religiosity to it without there being religion or there being religion without, you know, formal institutional religion. And what ends up happening is very kind of essentialist. Like if you're born at this time, you will always be this sign and you can never be anything else mm -hmm. born at one time whereas spiritual ends up being this kind of haunting like the absence of religion means that everything is religious and everything is kind of up in the air kind of floating over you and kind of um not really grounded in the objects and i think that's a big difference is that with mysticism, there's always objects. Could I the absence of objects that leads to peace and virtue being things that are very spiritually inhabited? Could I uh, ask a question, Stephen? Yeah. Okay, is this 
based on anything, or is this just a system you've kind of worked well, with? Well, it's based on weird and eerie. Actually. Okay, because, I mean, weird. I'm just thinking in terms of... I, I like the idea of spiritualism as the absence of religion, because there's that trope that was, like, major in, you know, early 90s hippie Unitarian churches of just, I'm spiritual but not religious. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was following you on that idea of spiritualism is the absence of religion idea. But I'm just kind of wondering in terms of this idea about objects because I think of spiritualism of like thinking like oh well my spiritualism is being among nature or something well, okay. like that nature I mean okay my thought and, and this is sort of my transitioning it to a political idea is that like take the Nazis for instance the Nazis had a kind of mystical roots of like their theology which was very essentialist but the spirit of Nazism lived on after the Nazi okay. God. You can have both the mystical being the search for the origins and then the spiritual being the absence of their being a Nazi party. Okay. So. okay. I like the idea of the negation through universality where religion is everything and therefore it's nothing kind of idea where it's like, mm -hmm. I mean, the Homer Simpson line essentially, like, if God is everywhere, I don't have to go to church, which sort of at a certain level by the baby bear is kind of got taken very literally. Very literally. Yeah. Uh, My mom doesn't go to church, but she's a good Christian. As, yeah, literally, well, spiritualism can be found in everything, so... Everything I do is spiritual, and therefore I never have to think about it or do anything with specific regards to it. Yeah, so I'm curious which stripe of this you think more influences your average, like, new age person who wants to... Especially the kind who engages in a lot of, like, thought-canceling, cliche-type <laughs> platitudes. I'm not only... Look, there's more than one. Bonnie, I love your subtweets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just am curious whether you think it's... Is it... I, I think both exist as, you know, kind of with the absence of, like, institutions of religion. You had kind of two divergent paths of like the ways in which neoliberalism kind of kept religion alive without having there be the institution of religion. And that kind of neutered the political power of religions itself while keeping the moralism behind it. I think a lot of new age, new age in particular, kind of the yoga mats and commodification. Yeah, commodification, but also a very materialistic approach to religion where... Well, yeah, where it's about getting the right incense and crystals. Yeah, and yeah. Where, I, mean, I that is very mystical, though, and I see the spiritual. I mean, it's literal. I mean, it's literal commodity 
fetishism, which is, you know, to use that term, Marx was referring to the the use of fetishism in the anthropological sense, where you would name a particular culture as, oh, they were a, they had a bull fetish cult, which would be essentially they had a bull god that they worshipped that looked like a bull, and they had little fucking statues of bulls that they would light candles in front of and shit like that. And, you know, Marx, in using commodity fetishism, essentially was kind of making the idea of the commodity as a religious object. There's a lot more to it than that. But, uh, yeah, so... For example, I, I see Catholicism as very mystical in its approaches to objects that they view as holy and kind of, I guess, in Marx's term, like fetishized um, and being also a big part of Catholicism. Like the image of the crucifix and Jesus right. on the cross itself? Yes, like going back to origin. Mm -hmm. So I would just point out the orthopraxic versus orthodoxic divide of religion. I don't know if anyone else knows that idea. No. Okay, so orthopraxic versus orthodoxic. Essentially, orthopraxic would be a correct practice versus orthodoxic being correct belief. Mm -hmm. uh, Protestantism in particular, but Christianity slightly more generally, is a very orthodoxic religion. Most religions in the world are very orthopraxic. Catholicism, Orthodox Christianity are more orthopraxic than Protestantism is. Protestantism mm. was essentially founded on this idea of you need to believe that Jesus was the son of God who died for your sins. And that is in and of itself the idea of your religion. Whereas Judaism and Judaism, there's plenty of people who describe themselves as atheist Jews, but are 100 percent believe they are religiously Jewish because they say prayers at a certain time and light candles and observe certain holidays. And whether or not they happen to believe that there is one God is sort of incidental to that point. And we live in a society that was very much, I mean, to, you know, briefly make mention of Faber, uh, very much influenced by Protestantism from its right. very inception. Uh, so we kind what? of tend to think of religion as in and of itself as a thing that you believe rather than a thing you do. And mm. most of other religions in the world actually view themselves primarily as a thing you do or a thing you are by virtue of your birth. The, and that includes Islam. You know, the declaration that there is one God and Allah is his messenger is kind of in many ways more important than actually cognitively thinking about that state. The, just declaring it and saying you truly believe in it is pretty good, and if you then pray five times a day and observe fasting for Ramadan, you're pretty much all the way there. 
it doesn't really matter what you believe or think is so long as you do those things. Yeah, yeah, that's very much... That's very much Orthodox Christianity, which is curiously named Orthodox. I mean, that's also Orthodox Judaism takes that to a level beyond Orthodox Christianity. And Orthodox Judaism is super not Orthodox. It's super orthopraxis. I grew up being taught about the importance of the sacraments and how vitally, magically important it is to drink that Christ blood um, at least once a year. (laughs) These were things that were like imparted to me with like utmost seriousness and being a Greek Orthodox um, (laughs) Greek American kid in a generally Protestant atmosphere. It is kind of funny because the criticism of most Protestantism is that they are not doing these rituals, you know, Uh, is that, oh, I hear some of them use grape juice for communion. (laughs) Right, which would, from a Protestant perspective, be seen as an absolute ridiculous criticism. Yes, I even... And then the other end of that, just with Orthodox Christianity, that's interesting, is there's a large amount of right-wing Protestants who are converting to Orthodox Christianity. It's the worst. And just bringing in elements that don't actually mesh with Orthodox Christianity because they're coming at it from this Protestant perspective and they don't actually understand it. They don't at all. And it's because I don't want to hear this shit from somebody who is unwilling to kiss the corpse feet of a saint. Okay, if you're not willing to do what I've done which is kiss the corpse feet of a saint in the service of being a good (laughs) Greek Orthodox Christian. I just get out of here. It's really funny because I, I no longer fear the things I was taught to fear in that religion, but I still have this implicit bias where if somebody from a Protestant tradition tries to tell me something about Christianity with some authority, I like do not take them seriously. And then if it is all like, you got to have the wine, guys. And it's specifically got to be this wine. It's a, like, uh, it, it's funny. Well, and then meanwhile, you have that. And Orthodox Christianity and Catholicism is very orthopraxic compared to Protestantism. Mm-hmm. But then you have Judaism where and not only does it have to be this kind of wine, there's multiple very carefully delineated steps to the bottling process. Mm-hmm. And there's extremely just laid out to a T what you do with the wine, how the wine is made. If a fucking goyim touches the goddamn wine, <laughs> uh, Hell yeah. it's no longer kosher. That's I'm gonna get my little thing. goyim fingers all over some. Yeah, no, that's the thing. If wine specifically in Judaism, there's a weird thing where it's like literally it cannot be handled by a non-Jew prior to the bottling. As soon as it's sealed, you're good. But previous to that, the Manischewitz company needs all Jews on the assembly line. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I love it. I like those things. Even though the 
further ridiculousness for me specifically is I know full and good and goddamn well that a large percentage of the rituals that I was taught that are so important are just lifted from pre-Christian pagan witchcraft anyway, which I think is why I like it. In oh, a weird actually, way. one of the chapters to uh, Heirs to Forgotten Kingdom, and it's an interesting chapter, it's Coptic Christians, mm -hmm. and they go into how the uh, Easter hymns of the Coptics are most likely ancient Egyptian funerary hymns. Yes. Like, melody-wise, they're basically just different words subbed in over top of what priests would be singing as they're wrapping up mummies. Yeah, and that's... And great. similar themes of rebirth, etc. That's, I think, the pressure point where it's really easy to see is rituals around death. Uh, in the Greek Orthodox Church, I grew up eating koliva every time somebody died or there was a memorial, and koliva is this mix of puffed wheat and pomegranate kernels and sugar, and essentially those items are all very meaningful if you were an ancient Greek person at a time of death and wanted to pay homage to like Persephone and Dionysus right. and Demeter. These things are very easily tracked and there is no significant pomegranate meaning in Christianity. <laughs> so it's funny how I can fully know all of those things. I think in a way because I think the way I even treat it myself as if there could be some sort of intangible mysterious thing that we get out of eating that or singing these hymns or whatever that that I'm interested in. It's not a literal magic word situation, but maybe these uh, hymns just feel great when someone dies. <laughs> I don't know. It's just putting labels on our weird barks. But my favorite aspect of this conversation is how Steve in particular has disdain for both the spiritual and the mystical. <laughs> Because yep. my temptation was to introduce this as if you had elevated one over the other. And I realized, no, no. It's privileging neither. Mm -hmm. At least they're presented in current. Although I am more, I guess, sympathetic to spiritual. Because I guess I'm more interested in the absence of something of it. But other than that, I'm also writing a lot about the difference between Jordan Peterson and Jacques Derrida. Jordan Peterson. I can't tell them apart, so thank you for writing that. Oh, no, Jordan. <laughs> I'm joking. But I do see them in mystical versus spiritual. Mm -hmm. But I thought this is interesting is that religion inhabits both. And I think that's important to remember that they rely on the both the presence of objects to validate the religion, but also the spiritualism to live on after. Mm -hmm. Oh, I did have one semi-political way I was thinking about this. It's like how beauty norms are marketed to women. Mm. So you've got the object, which is you, and whether your legs are very shaved or what have you, whether you occupy this perfect object. And then you're also haunted by the specter of a impossible standard. You can't even actually imagine the standard that you're seeking because the pressure is clear, but the image isn't necessarily. That's an amazing way of looking at it. <laughs> Especially in these times. And it's something like the spiritual can never be fulfilled. 
Exactly. So you're just constantly haunted by the idea, the ghost of a the younger you often. That's how I'm experiencing it, at least now at this point in my life, is I'm being transitioned into this space where I'm being encouraged to think about things this way. And it's funny because I don't read as old as I am to most people. I look at an older picture of me and I'm like, oh, man. If you knew me when, like I look the same, but because my peer group has reached this echelon, it's as if I'm being shoehorned into this situation where I'm supposed to be pining for this younger version of myself, but I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> you know, uh. it's, it's a very weird thing. Also, it's been, uh, not even that you're chasing your younger self, but that you're chasing some idea of it where you're just being marketed Botox, you know? And then uh. that physical result becomes sort of the new standard because that's what wealthy people do. So then even though I try to be remain sane around these issues, there's still some part of me that has received the message that I am expected to, at the very least, look like some kind of rubbery person in old age over looking like an actual elderly person as a woman. Mm. <laughs> That's a great way of looking at it. Yes. And it's also what I always say about um, Kim Kardashian, that every once in a while she takes a photo where you can see her old face haunting her new face. Mm. <laughs> anyway. Next time, next time we'll talk about specters and marks. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to do, well, Matt isn't on with us, but I did do his chart as well. Matt, uh, I did find it fun. Matt's a Scorpio with a Aquarius moon and a Virgo rising. So there was this weird Virgo-Scorpion commonality amongst us all. It just means that we're goth kids. Um, that's what that means. That's it. Yeah. Yep. We're little baby new goths, guys. This has been great, guys. Pinko Kami sluts. We love it. You love it. See ya. See ya. Yeah, cool. Like ships seen last year south of heaven, in their wake, Pharaoh stares into the Amentine night and gives us a ghost and wraps it in gold. A thousand years is nothing. Two thousand years still less And it's shone that we're all pharaohs In our hearts the double crown eats double portions Gobbles the soul whilst doing tricks for dead-eyed camels Who are trotting blearily along The highway made of bells, black ships of dark Unlatched with politeness that makes this frenzy at home that you call World War Three, and I called it bullshit. There are liars who I know, they're liars. And the big pot boils with centuries of conspiracy, uh, and cabbages and kings who have had their cake and ate it with another head parallel to the one they knew. It fed Big Moloch, pacified Azrael, and joy of Samael, lucky I